Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. The show is a proud media partner for the 11th Annual Media Excellence Awards, which are produced by Access Entertainment in Los Angeles, California. The Media Excellence Awards are recognized as the most influential awards show, honoring innovation and leadership in all things mobile entertainment, lifestyle, and technology. For more information on how to submit to these awards, please visit MediaXAwards.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Andy Lyons. She's the founder of Startup Life. Andy, welcome to the show. Kevin, I am so thrilled to be here and excited to chat with your listeners. And when they get to hear all the great information, I'd love to share about startup life. You know, yeah, I'm, go folks, ahead. Folks glorify the startup life. Everywhere you go, entrepreneurship is glorified. And I'm here to tell you, oh, heck no, it is hard. It's an arduous journey and it's the best personal development program out there. It's it's the greatest and worst thing you'll ever do in your life at the right. same time. <laughs> Spe- speaking from experience. Um, yeah. So maybe before we get into all that stuff, though, let's maybe get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Oh, thank you. I grew up in New England. Okay, up, very cool. Yeah, in a very traditional family. We moved around a lot growing up, but my father was with the same company for 37 years until he retired. My mom was a homemaker and nowhere was there any evidence about starting a business. So I I was always craving business and I thought, well, the only way I'm going to be able to break into that is becoming a secretary. So I went to secretarial school after college and started working with CEOs as their executive assistant, founders of these businesses. And I got to see how these businesses flowed in and out and who reported to who and the decisions that had to be made and investor meetings and everything. And I started thinking, I could do this. (laughs) (laughs) And so I decided to get my MBA to give myself credibility. I went to the only all women's MBA program in the world, Simmons College. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yep. Simmons School of Management was a wonderful experience. And when I graduated, I went into the commercial lending program at a huge bank here in Boston. And I did that not because I was a fit, because (laughs) in banking, (laughs) all about mitigating risk and I am a risk taker, but I went in because I love financial analysis and I wanted to do financial analysis in every type of industry and company out there, build my credibility over the next, you know, over a three year period and get really smart about the numbers because at the end of the day for any business owner, it's about execution and implementation. And when you're doing industry analysis and financial analysis on companies, you can see where they are making mistakes, where they're making great decisions. I lasted three years. I was so proud of myself. It was not easy. I threatened everybody. Um, And then I've been unemployable since. Interesting. (laughs) Okay. Well, well, I I guess when you say unemployable, you founded a bunch of companies, had some huge success. So maybe... Well, walk me through that journey. Yeah, absolutely. So one of my clients at the bank had purchased a patent for this motor that blew up a bed, air bed, air mattress. And he said, Andy, I've got to raise some money. And I said, okay, I just left the bank. Let me help you with that. So I pulled together his business plan and a pitch deck. And this was 20 some years ago. Interesting. Probably 25. And um, I shopped the deal for him. And he was with me and we had an amazing experience and I helped him raise half a million and it was Aerobed. And that was the first automatic blow up bed out there. And that gave me a taste for that part of the business. And then um, after I birthed two beautiful babies, six months after the second one, my husband and I launched a heavily VC backed business called College broadcast. We not only raised 8 million for this dot com back in 98, we turned down 14 million 
at wow. the 99 for this business. And that's, that can happen as you build a business and you've got investors on board. They have a say in who you bring on. And this was, may they rest in peace, Citibank and Bear Stearns. So <laughs> um, <laughs> turned it down. And we were based out of LA and we provided entertainment content to the college market online okay. and on campus via cable. And on and we had, geez, we got up to about 50,000 visits a day. We were doing pre-Facebook wow. and YouTube things for the college market. We would have Sony and Universal hire us to get a uh, pulse on what the most recent kids coming in were interested in, you know, skateboard companies, et cetera. But we were really, we were live streaming. And the only person at that time who had that kind of access and capability in 98 and 99 were the college students because they were all tapped into their T1s. And sure. so we were- Interesting. Really, yeah, we were really jamming. We were doing great. And then we had another 5 million coming in, in um, from a really well-known uh, company, venture capital company, when the market collapsed in August of 2000. And we just fell just like everybody else. We were probably about six months away from actual revenue positive happening. And we grew that business from zero employees to 100 employees. And we grew, took it right back down to zero and we sold it for just assets wow. and liabilities. And that was a phenomenal experience. It just shows that sometimes your timing is off. Sure. And uh, it was a great run. I learned so much from that experience. And then um, after 9-11, we moved back east. And after 9-11, I had a craving for a wonderful wheat-free granola. I went to okay. Whole Foods to buy it. I couldn't find it, so I created the recipe myself. And uh, the next thing I know, everybody was asking me for a repeat. Can I have another batch? And then someone said to me, Andy, you've got to launch this as a business. This is amazing. And I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> like, Are you kidding? I haven't recovered from the last one. They said, no, this is a great idea. And I said, well, I'm not going to start this business unless I can find a licensed bakery and one phone call. And didn't I find a licensed bakery and one phone call? I was so bummed out. <laughs> so, okay. Interesting. Uh, off and running, and I made sure I got certified as a woman-owned business, and I grew the business not on the shelf, but through food service, because uh, women are minority-owned businesses, okay, <clears throat> are considered sure. minorities, and so here in the U.S., and so I got into all Sodexo and Compass and Aramark and got into some phenomenal locations without having a huge erosion of margin or having to pay the advertising expenses and marketing and shelving fees, et cetera, et cetera. And I scaled nationally in less than two years and had a oh, yeah. wonderful run, was about to raise, um, and I had Angel, a wonderful angel investor who I still, we still love and adore each other to this day. Um, I was about to raise another 250000 when I had a series of unfortunate events, lemony snicket moment. And oh, yeah. uh, so what happened was the uh, agriculturally almonds and Maple syrup, two key ingredients in my recipe, had got hit really hard. So the cost of both of those ingredients blew away my margin. And then my, I was getting ready to go the Kellogg's route. So finding, I was talking to manufacturers in the Midwest for big uh, manufacturing. And um, my current manufacturing plant got hit by lightning and was shut down. Wow. In the same storm, two hours down the road, my packaging plant got hit by lightning. Now you cannot make this wow. stuff up. Sure. And wow. That's crazy. Yeah. What a shock. And like they, bad luck. Hey? You know, and they teach you this in grad school when you're studying, um, they give you case studies about how the forces outside of where you have control, you can do great job at marketing and branding and implementing and executing. You can have the best product, but there are going to be floods and hurricanes and fires and things that happen, uh, market crashes, whatever, that you just can't anticipate. So I cried for about three months. Um, after that sure. came to unwound. And um, my greatest story out of that, Kevin, was they did carry my granola at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and here in Boston, which is a really one of the top cancer hospitals in the country. And they gave it away for free to their chemo patients because it was wow, so great. nutritious and so delicious. So, <laughs> so that so, ended though, that ended the business. Yep, like that okay, ended the business. Okay. So we have to be careful in what we call success. You know, so often we look at a success as an exit 
with uh, a lot of zeros at the end mm -hmm. going into your bank account. But I'm a firm believer that anybody who gets up and actually produces a product or a service and sells it day in and day out, year after year, you're successful and you're making money and you're feeding people, uh, you're feeding your family, you're learning along the way. That is true success because sure. you proved your your hypothesis in the marketplace. So yeah, interesting because there's a lot of like really rich people that are completely unhappy. Yes, yes, which is interesting. So, yeah, so I often tell people, you know, there's I call this thing called strategic quitting, okay. and I'll take a little segue into talking sure, about that, sure. Kevin, because a lot of times we start a business and we're all about the outcome. Mm -hmm. And even though we do feel so much joy about being in purp on purpose and in our passion and we're really, I mean, there's just the, the especially those first, you know, months or early years of starting a business, you're in the throes of the romance of that business. And then also sure. really hard times come and hit you and it can become a situation where you're sleeping like a baby, you're waking up every two hours crying. And so it's important that, People who, you know, folks who start a business that they understand that they need to know what does quitting look like? Because sometimes what you're doing becomes so difficult, you could be doing something better and something sure. more useful for the world. So you have to understand that sometimes a business doesn't have that outcome and you need to have in place beforehand or you know, when you're initially starting the business, what does quitting look like for you? What does closing the doors? And especially after you've invested a lot of money, it's hard, but that's the reality. I mean, you know, the high failure rate for startups. And sure. so it's I like 90 plus percent. Yeah. I like to not talk higher. about that. Yeah. And you know, one of my favorite people, Damon John, he, he talks sure. about how he invests in the person. He said, they may not, it may not work out. I may lose money on this, but I will stay with them because I know they'll figure it out. If not with this business, with another one. Interesting. And that's a very important thing to remember. Not, you know, giving up too soon, but at a certain point, sometimes you have to say, this is just not working. And um, other times you have to know when to keep moving forward and getting through that big, awful dip. It, it's not easy. Anyway, so then I um, uh, set up a, I had a business that was like a stray cat that came to my door yowling. Okay. <laughs> and Interesting. It wouldn't go away until I finally fed it. It took me two years to say yes. And it was an online business and it was for relationships, um, for long-term relationships. So not the, um, it was a taboo topic to talk about. And uh, a lot of my friends said, oh, that's going to be a career ender for you. But I felt really called to do it. And so I launched Branded and Build It. And I had a really great successful run for three years. And I learned everything about how to brand and build a business online on every single platform, understanding the social media, the marketing, the execution. And it was one day just looking out at all the noise online and seeing such bad information on how to raise a business. I just said, I have got to start helping people. <laughs> I can't see okay. this stuff out there. And so then I launched Startup Life. And um, through that, I started uh, volunteering with local nonprofit accelerator programs here in Boston, Entrepreneurship for All, which serves the mid-sized cities and uses entrepreneurship to help those cities increase their economic uh, and community efforts and, and viability. And then I also volunteer at Mass Challenge, which is the largest nonprofit accelerator program in the world. Very and cool. I mean, you know, the fabric of and landscape of the startup world in Boston is amazing. There's lots to do here. But I like to focus on what I call the underrepresented and underserved entrepreneur. And okay. especially, you know, living in a city that has so many smarty pants with the pedigree degrees and- sure. Um, resources and the network. I, you know, and they, you know, I certainly would never turn someone like that down, but I priced myself for the person who has never launched a business. Interesting. Maybe has launched and is just lost at sea in their business. Maybe it's a side hustle and they really do want to quit their job, but they don't know how to make that transition. And they really don't know what the heck they're doing. And I love to grab onto them and say, here we go. Let's 
figure out your value prop. Let's prove your hypothesis that people want your product and are willing to pay for it. And then let's see how we get to your target market. Who are your key partners? What are the activities that you need to do? What are your customer acquisition strategies? Yeah, really. And then, of course, the numbers, which I love and adore. And sure. uh, understanding cash flow projections and doing it in a way that is playful. <laughs> sure. Honoring of the journey and what they're going through and at the same time helping them keep the chokeholds off their business, which is usually fear. Fear usually grapples everybody around the neck and strangles them to the ground. <laughs> sure. No, I 100% agree with you. I, I think it's fascinating because I, I don't know, like, and I've talked to a bunch of people that would agree with me and what about I'm about to say, and you can tell me if you agree or not, but like, I think a lot of people and the whole kind of Hollywood illusion of, of this whole kind of startup space is mm -hmm. that people think other people really know what they're doing all the time. And a lot of the time, even really successful people still feel like they have no idea what they're doing some days. And I'm not saying that they're just like not trying to figure stuff out, but like they're basically, sometimes they don't really fully understand why they've been so successful, right? Sure. They've put in the hard work and they've done all this stuff, but like a lot of times I think part of the problem is, is you feel so kind of alone and isolated that you, you don't even really, you get this success and then you feel like you almost like don't deserve that success. Have you kind of experienced that throughout your career or with the people you've worked with? Oh, absolutely. And this is, yeah, Michael Michalowicz talks about this in his book, Profit First. He had two hit them out of the ballpark businesses, one right sure. after another, he was infallible. He okay. just, you know, and he became an angel investor because he said, look, I've got the golden touch. Well, sure. what did he do? He lost every dime. He lost the wow. home, the car. And wow. he tells that beautiful story about his daughter bringing him her piggy bank after he confessed his mortification and, and disastrous outcome to the family. And she brought him in her piggy bank and said, I've got some money here, daddy, to help. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's, wow. That's crazy, right? Like, right. just how that, so, yeah, no, I, that's interesting. So how do you kind of work with people and founders to actually kind of get rid of that fear or at least be able to deal with that fear and help them actually kind of achieve what they set out to do? Because some, so many times, at least in my experience, is that some people just want to make enough money to maybe like work remote or, um, you know, take a couple months off during the year, or maybe they want to make a billion dollar company, right? There's like right. a million things that, you know, we define as kind of success for, for everybody. And sometimes it's tied to money and sometimes it has nothing to do with money. That's right. It's tied to experience or helping the world. People develop products that help the environment um, or medicine, you know, sure. all sorts of things. But you know, fear is, well, it's normal, Kevin, for our brain to want to focus on what's not working, what could go sure. wrong, and then point to the evidence. Interesting, <laughs> yeah, sure. And so this is when the founder has to reign in their brain and turn it into what I call a high precision tool to help you see solutions. So that's what I do with my founders is I help them stay curious. I help them seek solutions to the problems instead of seeking the problems. And so we talk about, here are the questions. I'm, you know, I say, don't ask how, because you'll okay. die in the depths of that dip. How's that gonna happen? You, know, you have to practice asking, hmm, what, or why, or where, or who? And then, so for example, um, ask, you know, what do my customers desire? What will delight them? Or if your business needs capital, ask where can I find the best aligned investors? Or if you need to hire a specific role within the company, you know, talk about, you ask yourself, who is that person instead of, I'll never be able to attract anybody. But this <laughs> happens in isolation. And the other thing that I have seen really benefit founders, and it benefited me, and I actually wished I'd had someone that I could have hired so I didn't have to put the burden on a friend or my husband, which is when they start talking out loud about the problem and unraveling all the parts and the pieces 
they actually come up with the solution because they're talking to someone who's been there. I understand how they're feeling. I understand the deep level of uncertainty that they're feel, feel, feeling. And I love providing them with a really safe harbor of stability that they can grab onto for a minute and hold onto while they talk out what's going on in their business. And I see the solutions bubble up and out and then i shine a spotlight on it and they're like oh my gosh that's it okay bye interesting Andy. <laughs> no interesting no yeah that's fa- because I, I think at the end of the day and you can correct me if i'm wrong you're basically helping somebody figure out kind of their happiness is that fair to say well i would love to help them figure out their happiness i help them find more joy and happiness within their business because after sure. the glow. But I think that's kind of one and the same, right? Yeah. Like if you're kind of yeah. happy with creating your own company, it can lead to that, right? Whatever right. that means to you. Yeah. So if you can step back and instead of going, it's a disaster, <laughs> <laughs> said every founder ever, um, mm-hmm. you step back and say, all right, where are the possibilities here? Time and again, Better products, better services come out of when a door has been slammed or something is not working and you step back and you say, okay, well, let's reframe this. Let's not get stuck in the blueprint I had in place. Let's think about what could be. And a lot of times our customers will give us the ideas on how to you know, break sure. to another level. It's amazing. The, create, the creative problem-solving brain is allowed to burst forth and provide where before it was so choked and held down from the fear. And I'm not saying that fear disappears. I'm just saying you, you put your arm around it and say, look, fear is part of this journey, but I can still stay as an observer occasionally and step back and see the solutions. No, I think that's, that's great, right? Because I think part of the problem is, is unless you can actually talk to somebody that's either going through it or been through it, a lot of your kind of friends and family try, and I don't think they, they, and sometimes they can actually really help you. But I think unless you've kind of been through it or going through it, you don't truly understand of what other founders are kind of going through. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And not only that, I I wrote a post recently on Medium called When Your Loved One Isn't an Entrepreneur. Um, (laughs) You know, (laughs) they're sitting there and they could be the opposite of a risk taker. And and same with family members. And they just want the suffering to end. (laughs) While (laughs) they're just seeing it as a part of the breakthrough, they're like, oh, please get a steady job and paycheck. And so- it's important that you have a coach in your life so that you can talk to them about all the big problems that you're trying to solve. And then you can you know, share a few of the things with your, your partner, but mostly you can find the successes. And, and so often business you know, owners are so focused on the business, right? They often think, hey, if you're not part of the solution, step aside. But Interesting. You, can't, you can't do that with your partner. So you know, along with everything else that's on your plate, from managing your customers and growing the business and your employees or your team members or your investors, you've got someone in your life that loves you. Uh, hopefully, and whether it's, you know, family, friend, sibling, whatever, or a partner, and you have to manage that too. And that can be really hard. And, and because at the end of the day, everybody knows relationships usually break up over money. Sure. And, And so those conversations can be very difficult to have as a founder with whomever is uh, caring for you in life or partnered with you in life. So it's important to set up ahead of time the ground rules that, you know, how much of our money are we going to use? Sure, no, <laughs> fair enough. Dip into savings and are you willing to be part of this? And, and yeah, becomes um, important conversations that are difficult to have, but so key for the, the whole big landscape of being a business owner. Sure. Thanks for listening to Building the Future. This show is heard by more than a million people monthly in over 15 markets worldwide, including Silicon Valley. Kevin Horick's guests are leading business owners, successful entrepreneurs, and merchandisers worldwide. 
Now, your brand has an opportunity to tap into this dedicated and active group of business people who are looking for places to invest and the right opportunities to support. Find out how you can get involved at buildingthefutureshow.com. What do you kind of tell people that are maybe feeling kind of like they are alone, right? Even if they are feel like maybe they have some support around them, but what do you tell people if they're still kind of feeling alone? Yeah, if you're feeling alone, again, have a coach who you can just spill your guts to. Okay. Um, also go to, if you have any, I mean, startups are, there's startup events in uh, pretty much near most major cities and small cities as well. There's something going on. You can get on Meetup. Uh, you can just check out what's going on in your community, even if you have to go drive to get to it. Go sure. to an event where there are other founders, where people are pitching their business ideas, where they're talking about what's going on. Uh, really, they're all suffering just like you are, but they're all excited and exhilarated too. And to get around that energy of other folks doing this, and maybe it's an online community as well. You can find some folks who are sharing their startup stories and, and journeys, and certainly an accelerator. If you can find, especially a nonprofit accelerator in your area, and again, so many universities, there are lots of nonprofit accelerators going on that you can apply for. That's a great way to get camaraderie because the isolation, even if you're an introvert, the isolation can be so hard. Sure. No, I, yeah, that's interesting. I, I agree. So I'm curious though, when you're working with um, kind of founders or, or other kind of, uh, when you're coaching startups, like, do you recommend, I know like you always see those lists of like 10 things successful people do every morning or like you should work out or you should meditate or you should do all this stuff. Like, what are your kind of thoughts on those? And I'll tell you my opinion first, if you if you want. Well, I know it works for me, and as I get okay, to know the founder, sure. I can you know let them know what works for them. But for me, it's absolutely I've got to move my body. I mean, you have to get jazzed up, whatever that is. Find some music that just makes you feel terrific. Get the body moving. Get the oxygen moving and really feel great about who you are and why you are and what you're doing, even if it's all falling apart. But also you have to feed your brain. As I spoke earlier about what you wanna focus your brain on, it's so easy to focus on the problems. So feed your brain, whether it's you know uh, subscribing to Seth Godin's daily right. um, words of wisdom or something more on the Wayne Dyer side or Damon John, you know, anybody who is speaking words that will help you have a, I'm, it's not positivity, but it, what it is, it's bringing more, a little bit of gratitude, a little bit of wiring your brain. So just like you're at the gym using the weights to keep your muscles working, you've got to feed your brain. And then also, finally, just remember, fear and doubt are part of the journey. I don't care how experienced you are or what you've been through. And so instead of just trying to push them away because they'll only get louder, I talk about blending them in to your day. Okay. So like a chocolate cake, you add baking soda to chocolate cake. It tastes terrible on its own, but boy, that <laughs> cake isn't going to rise without it. So you got to blend it in. Interesting. Yeah, because like I, I think the thing that that's always kind of – frustrated me with the whole kind of those like checklists of like 10 things successful people do every morning. It's like, maybe those work for me. Try, try all 10. But if like eight of those don't work for you, don't force yourself to do those eight things. Or like, if you're not a morning person, like why <laughs> would you force yourself to become a morning person? Because like it works for somebody else. Like exactly. that always kind of like baffled me. Right. And so many people are like, have you seen this? Have you tried this? It's like, no, I don't want to try any of those things, right? Like it's what's going to work for you is going to be different from me. And it should be because we're different people. Absolutely. And it's the same thing with um, coaching people with their marketing, with their value proposition, with their cash flow. I have to look at who or sure. into who they are and then how are they going to need me to say this so they can hear it. And everybody's different. Yeah, no, that's interesting, right? Because you're right, because we all have we all have different situations, some better than others, but mm -hmm. you need to look at my kind of situation and figure out what's going to work for me or whoever you're working with, right? Right. And and you know, I have to say the most common mistake I see founders or any entrepreneur make 
is they don't take the time to prove their value proposition. Interesting. And, and see, so instead of going by what perfect strangers tell them, okay. they they take all the great family and friends feedback. Oh, we love uh, that. Oh, this is great. And I'm like, please, of course they're going <laughs> to say that. Sure. <laughs> it's like, you know, nobody's going to say you've got an ugly baby. Um, right. You need the data because marketing without data is like driving a car without a steering wheel. You have to do the blind survey, set up your Google form, get the questions answered. And I'm telling you, you know how they, you've probably heard this all the time, burn the bridges. I only have yeah. a plan A, you know, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. 25 letters in the alphabet. Your customers are going to tell you what they want, listen, and things are going to morph into so many cool things that they're going to help you help them. Sure. No, and let's dive a little bit deeper onto that because there's been, and it, I think it's getting better in the startup community, but like so many people for so long were saying, if you don't quit your job and only focus on like plan A or like what you're currently doing, you're kind of... <laughs> potentially going to fail. And it always seemed like, well, maybe you should quit your job, but maybe you shouldn't quit your job. Oh, like, I, got, I don't, I've got right? like, what are your thoughts on that? I've got some okay. facts for you. So Adam right. Grant wrote the book originals. Great okay. book. And in there, he has the facts that show those who start their businesses while working have mm -hmm. a higher success rate. Interesting. Cause that's not how the startup community plays it. Right. Not. Of course not. But I mean, you've got to eat, your family's got to eat and you sure. take time to prove that the market wants it and what you've got. And you've got to sort of build up your own muscles of uh, adversity and tenacity and resilience along the way. And why put yourself under that kind of stress? Sure. Well, We're and you also might hate it too, right? Like yeah. you could get six months in and be like, this isn't for me either. I know. Or two years in, and you might be like, I'm done. Like, yes. could happen. Yep, strategic quitting. Learned a lot from this, and now I'm going to apply it over here. Or maybe I'm really more cut out to be an entrepreneur. So I what talked does that to, mean? Entrepreneur. I talked to a lot of companies about how you can take the entrepreneurial spirit and state of mind okay. and apply it internally at a company. Of course, you've got to make sure you're not going to get fired for taking chances. But sure you know, to, to really bring that sort of lean startup feel to a new product or service that the company may want to be pulling together and how you can create um, that innovative feeling in people. And it has to be, there just has to be a little bit of a headspace around it's, you know, the, the, the risk of it all. And I love that some people get to do that and be on a paycheck. <laughs> no, sure. I I think the pr problem with that potentially would be if it's not core to that company's business, the chances right. of you getting axed might is probably a lot higher, but you need to also be kind of fine with that. Is that yeah. fair to say? Yes, you do. And, uh, and it can be, it can be a pretty rocky road if you don't have the support of the leadership in the company. It's one thing to say, we need to be more innovative, but it's another to say, well, how do we think outside the box really? Because that's what every entrepreneur is doing. They're seeing something on the horizon nobody else can see. And they're trying sure. to bring it to fruition. Well, and I think a lot of businesses or founders come up with their ideas working for somebody else. And then they eventually either start that on the side and, and or maybe quit. They'll quit eventually and keep doing that. Where if you could just incubate that idea inside your own company that's you know, right. and keep that person happy, like, it will probably cost you a lot less money and you keep a really good employee that's trying to also like potentially look out for your business, right? Like I'm kind of the type of person and I know it's not always the case, but if you can try to build your biggest competitor yourself, right. And try mm -hmm. to wipe yourself out <laughs> in some ways, right. Because, and you see a lot of the companies do that all the time. Like you watch Apple, you watch Google, you watch Amazon, like they're constantly trying to, Kind of reinvent their business right, right. and mm -hmm. or they're buying companies that are trying to do that right so you know it's important um it it fulfills your your employees too your sure. talent, because now they're tapping into parts of themselves that they didn't know they had and they're having to stretch in a meaningful way and to have that kind of ownership and authority to you know, pull on the threads, but be smart about it. Be like a, a, a broke entrepreneur. <laughs> sure. 
instead of like, where are my people? I'm always saying, where are my people? But they're not here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but I also think too, with technology coming into basically every business vertical out there, it maybe hasn't hit some yet, but it's coming for for better or worse. Wouldn't you want to try to keep the people that understand kind of technology inside your business instead of them going off to try to maybe compete with your business or kill off your business? Is that? Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, you want them to stay current. You want them to be seen looking at the horizon. It's kind of who moved my cheese only (laughs) (laughs) for business and product and services within the company. And sure, you can see what the competitors are are doing doing and maybe do your own spin on that and your own brand on that internally. It's a, it's a great it's a great way to feed inspiration and innovation within an organization. Sure. So we've talked throughout the show kind of a bit about what you do kind of with founders, but I want to dive a little bit deeper into kind of how do I like if I have a startup at what point should I reach out to you and kind of get me to help with, you know, me as just being a founder or kind of an established startup? Where do you kind of come in or is it kind of at all stages of a business? It's all stages. So okay. I, I remember I went to a pitch event for food, a food pitch event, and I saw okay. this woman and I, I could tell she this was in the idea phase. And I was okay. like, had me at hello. I just knew immediately in talking to her and how she presented the product and everything. I said, you're amazing. I know exactly where you're going, but more importantly, you are a CEO. You are a founder. Here's my card. If you ever need any help, call me. Well, we've been working together ever since. Interesting. So how do you, like what made, what was in her that you knew she was going to be like a founder and CEO? Like, is there traits that you kind of just noticed in her or what exactly is that? There is a sense of purpose and interesting. feel their willingness to do whatever it takes Okay. To get this where it needs to go. And there is a level, it's not a hobby. It is a determination that no matter what happens, they're going to figure it out. And you, you can feel it in a conversation. But I've also had people who have gotten off to a, a good start with their business, but they've attracted the wrong investors. They've attracted the wrong talent. So and what do you mean by wrong investor and wrong talent? What does oh, that mean yeah. to you? So sometimes you get so desperate for the money, you'll take it from every, anywhere. Uh, I see. And there are some investors that will come in and they will keep that money tied up and they will just feed it a little bit to you at a time. Or uh, okay. Too involved in the business where they really don't know what they're doing. <laughs> and <laughs> they're just not helping. <laughs> it's, sure. You know, okay. And sometimes, you know, it's very hard to exit those kind of investors, you know, buy back their stock, whatever. So that's an attorney conversation. But, you know, moving forward, it doesn't have to be that way. And same thing with talent. You get so excited to bring somebody on because they talk a good game and you didn't set up what I call the 30-day rule and the 90-day rule, which is, you know, we're going to review this in 30 days, seriously review this because I'm a startup and I do not have time for mistakes and mistakes happen. It can happen for them. It can happen for the founder. And now they get like, I don't know. I don't want to fire them. It's like, oh, hell yeah, you do. Interesting. <laughs> and <here's> how. <laughs> Interesting. So, and, and you find investors are, are usually open to those kind of 30, 90 day rule? Like oh, it no, probably no, makes sense investors. for them too. This is oh, the okay. Yeah, no. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You okay. sign on that dotted line and you give your equity away. Yeah. Okay. That's kind of what I figured. That's why I wanted some clarification there, but yeah, I know it totally makes sense with talent, right? Like, yes. And, and what are your thoughts on, um, a lot of people don't talk about this, but a lot of people get kind of the first version of their app or, or whatever kind of built offshore because it's a lot cheaper. And then maybe they hire one or two people kind of in, in North America, let's say, Mm -hmm. um, have you found that or, or kind of what's your thoughts on getting like offshore development? Have you seen it work or not work or what it, are your thoughts on it? It really depends on the person. So okay. I know a guy who knows, not only does he do offshore, but he do, does it around the world so that okay. the person has a segment of his code, but nobody has the whole code. Interesting. So, but sure. you have to be really good at that. And I think it's much easier if you can be working together or, um, or you can outsource it to a company 
that does it all the time locally. Um, you know, I, most people manufacture offshore. We're bringing some manufacturing back locally through uh, various channels, but the real big, got to get this jewelry out there, got to get this article of clothing, this packaged product, it's happening in China or elsewhere. Okay. And then you're going to have a, you know, a whole lot of other problems, but sometimes that's the only way you can afford to do it. Um, you know, one thing I like to talk about too, because we were, we were talking about investors, Kevin, sure. is the pitch deck. One of the things I work very closely with entrepreneurs on is the pitch deck because I'm still just so amazed at how many people get up and they pitch and they talk so much about their wonderful product and solution, or they go on and on about the problem and they're not hitting what the investors want to see. And again, you have to treat your investor, potential investors as potential customers. You have to find out what do they want to hear about. And sure, if they want to know that you've identified the problem and where is the market opportunity and your solution for all of that and get a little product demo, but they really want to see how are you going to execute and implement. And you've got to talk, especially if you're pre-revenue, you have to talk about the white elephant in the room. It's you. And so you need to really go deep on who you are and why you are ideal for this company in taking this business model and nailing it. And then, of course, you know, what is your growth strategy? What are your key metrics? What, um, what is your traction today? What are your projections? What's the competitive landscape? These are all really important. You know, the timeline, customer acquisition strategy, and how do you do that in three to five minutes? Because usually that's all you have at a pitch event. Sure. So what are your thoughts on creating different decks for different types of investor groups? Or are you doing it wrong because you're looking for investors in different verticals? You know, an investor cares about one thing, getting their money back. Sure. So at the end of the day, (laughs) yeah, and then some, of course, but um, so I'm not talking VCs, I'm talking angels. They do, they'll never admit to this, but they do like an emotional connection. And so I find if you can do, I think the pitches I do are really across the board. I don't care if you're tech, food, manufacturing, you know, whatever it is, there are key salient things that an investor needs to hear. And you know, whether, wherever they're coming from, and they may never have been an entrepreneur. They may just okay. be in as, well, I cashed out here, or this happened to me at this company, or I've got a load, you know, some money, and I'm part of this angel group, and we have this fund. Um, but you just want to make sure that you're pitching to, well, initially, you want to pitch just to pitch, because okay. the feedback you get is great, and it's usually free. And so... Um, but eventually you really want to be pitching toward people who understand your market, who would add value if they came on as an investor. And, um, and you've got to be careful about, you know, finding those when it's really, when, when the rubber is hitting the road. Sure. So I don't necessarily agree with what I'm about to ask you, but I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on, do you, I've heard before that you should change your pitch deck, if you're, if you're pitching to a man, it should be different than the pitch deck you, you present to like a female. Are, like, I don't think they're really any different unless you're going specifically for a, a target market. Yeah, Do you no, agree with that? Yeah. Most female funders have been trained just like the male funders. Sure. So okay. they're looking for what meets their appetite for investing. Sure. I find though that female funders tend to be a little more nurturing. (laughs) Yeah, fair. And so I, you know, and, and that's with all due respect. Um, I find that their questions sometimes are not as tough. That's not all that's not across the board, but in some of the events, I, um, don't find them to be as abrupt as some of the male funders, but otherwise I don't think, I don't see the gender. I think um, where I see the gender challenge is females getting funded, female founders getting funded. Sure. Um, but I think a lot of that too can be that the woman tends to think, oh, I just need to work harder and not get money. So Julia Pimsler has a great book out called The Million Dollar Woman. Women, okay. And she really ta- speaks to this, that 
we need to get out there as women founders and raise that money to really scale. You've got to leverage with other people's money. Sure. Well, and I think it's, we're, we're nowhere near close, but I think the space, at least in my experience is getting better. There's a lot more um, women out there. There's a lot more women investing in women. There's a lot yes. more males investing in women. Have you found that as well? Like, is it getting better? I guess is my, my question to you. Uh, not really. Um, no, interesting. I think, I think there's a wave happening. I think that we're really, we've got a great, we've got what, four or five amazing funds out there um, that are training women to be angel investors. So we have Portfolia, we have Pipeline Angels, we have Next Wave, we have Golden Seeds. Golden Seeds are yep. men and women. Yeah, I've had a bunch of them on the show throughout the years. Yeah, and so you know, they really care deeply about changing this. And then, of course, there's Arlon Hamilton, who is African-American and totally has, what, a $36 million fund focused wow. on uh, men and women of color. So Okay, very cool. Founders. So people are finding, and then there's Founder Gym in Oakland, and that's addressing um, uh, you know, all types of diversity in founders and really supporting the diverse founder who can be underrepresented and definitely underestimated. And what happens too, and this is very common, is that investors want to fund what they're used to seeing and it tends oh, to be a white male. And so we need to get that mixed up as well, get more. I, there's a great gal out there, Mandela. Ooh, let's see, she's a venture capitalist. I want to say okay. Dixon Hughes, something like that. Anyway, she has a long last name. But she talks about how it's a mirrortocracy, not a meritocracy in the okay. venture capital world. So um, it's fascinating. But I, I'm seeing this year as a big year of change. Here in Massachusetts, we have our Massachusetts um, Technology Council, and they got into a lot of trouble this year when they gave out all their awards because there were no female founders. And we got plenty of smarty pants, STEM female founders in this area. That's for Interesting. sure. So and they were raked across the coals, and now they're working really hard to never let that happen again. Sure. No, I, I think like it seems to be more in the media as well, right? Like, and maybe it's just getting publicized more, but it's not actually changing. Like I was just at an event in Florida and they spent, they had the whole morning um, just de dedicated to kind of like panels of women that have been super successful. And they were, they even had like a keynote speaker. Like it was actually really interesting because yes. some of them, well, not, not some of them, all of them have been like insanely successful, right? And just hearing them talk about um, the, the journey and, and the, the challenges and, and some of them are very much like, I've never let being a woman really stop me. And I just kind of, as long as I get in the boardroom and own it and do, you know, make sure all my data's correct and I can speak to every kind of question that they can handle, I've never really had a problem. And then you've had the total opposite of that where they're like, you know, I've totally felt judged and I've totally felt like I'm never going to get money just because of, you know, gender and, and stuff right. like that. So it was, it's interesting to hear kind of both sides of it. And obviously, like, I'll never fully 100% relate to either one of those people because I'm like a white male. So, yeah. I'm, right. But like, yeah. at least in my experience, what I've seen, there's at least pockets in America that seem to be making an effort, whether it's actually relating to more money getting invested. I, I don't know. Right. So, yeah. And I'd love to touch base with you about this in 12 months because I'm hearing it. I follow it on Twitter mm -hmm. uh, closely, all the conversations. Sure. I've seen what all these funds are doing. Um, venture capital funds are peeling off a certain amount to go into women owned businesses. Everybody wants to do the right thing. But how are they doing? And I want to see the female founders. How are they doing about getting the money? Because again, sure. we have our own bias about sure. stepping up and owning it. And um, I used to, and I got a lot of training at this when I went to my all women MBA program, because sure. we talked about how, what guys would do versus gals. Sure. And so often, you know, the woman looks at who's doing it the best and says, I have to do better where a guy is like, all right, what do I have to do here? Just a little over here, a little over there. But the point is, is I don't know that being a good founder is based on gender. It's the ingredients of who they are. Sure. And these women who were wildly successful just really stepped into their authority and they owned it and they owned their space. Um, 
but others, they will say they, you know, they felt very intimidated about the fundraising process sure. so often because let's say at a college, when you're raising money for your college, the guys will say, okay, Harry put in 25 K I got to beat that. Whereas a woman's like, can I uh, bake cookies for this fundraiser? You know, what can I do? We don't, we haven't come far enough in how we use money. And I think this was political when we brought okay. Emily's list into play. Um, people were like, oh, how do you donate to a, you know, a, um, a political platform? How do you make your voice heard? And how do you support? It's the same thing in business. We're transitioning. I hope everything that's being said right now and all these funds that are out there putting money into with female founders have the success. I really do because sure. these women deserve it. Well, and and I think anybody that's not like a white male in, in like, that's what I like. It just seems like you're eliminating so much of the world population. If you're only really investing in like white males, right? Like Boy, that's again, you know, you're missing out on some unbelievable underestimated sure. <laughs> entrepreneurs. No, that's interesting. So we're, we're kind of coming to the end of the show, but you also host a podcast. Do you want to talk about, what you guys talk about on that? Absolutely. I decided to launch this podcast, Startup Life Show with Andy Lyons, to address the journey, the adventure okay. for the entrepreneur. And so I sometimes get on and just give a little snippet of advice. And other times I interview folks that you would never have heard of. They're not you know, unicorns. They're not disruptors. And I'm a firm believer it's okay. You Do can you believe in unicorns? I know. I don't. I really don't. I like to focus. Uh, I, on, I don't either. Yeah. Okay. I like to focus on who launched, who figured out the problems. Are they employing people? Are they giving back to community? Have they changed things generationally in their family by taking this adventure and risk? And how did they do it? And let's talk about what the scary times and how they overcame those scary times. And how did they solve some of these problems? Because I want them to help other founders know they're not alone in their feelings of isolation, confusion, helplessness, and euphoria that you get when you have a moment of victory. And then the next thing you know, you're solving yet another disaster problem. Sure. Um, and, to, and hopefully some of these conversations will trigger ideas for them and solutions for their own journey and give them space between themselves and their journey. So often entrepreneurs get so focused on working in their business, they forget to work on the business. Interesting. No, I think that's, that's really good advice. But uh, let's close the show then with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself and uh, all the stuff you're involved in and how they could work with you. Thank you. AndyLyons.com, A-N-D-E-L-Y-O-N-S.com. You can also find me on the Spreaker platform. That's where my podcast is hosted, as well as Stitcher. I'm on Twitter at Andy Lyons. I call Twitter my favorite bar. And then, of course, Facebook, Instagram. I tend to be on a lot of the platforms. That's not always the advice I give my clients. But for me, they're all hanging out everywhere. And I need to be where they are as well. So that's where you can find me. I'd love to hear from anyone. Check out my services. And uh, if you need a great pitch deck, let me know. I've got one. Perfect, Andy. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time of your day to be on the show. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Thank you, Kevin, for having me. Thanks very much. We'll talk soon. Okay. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community. Sign up for our newsletter or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.